Award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHMLP Ravenswood, West Virginia. I'm dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome to Speed Zone, the best motorsports show on radio. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and across the next hour, we'll recap everything, yes, everything, in racing that happened in the last week. We'll discuss the latest news and occasionally even have a star-studded interview. So buckle up, rev your motor, and drop the hammer, because this is Speed Zone. And welcome to Speed Zone. I'm your host, Ben Cower. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a great show for you tonight. During the flag-to-flag segment of the show, we're going to recap the off-season that was in between while we were off-air at the end of last season. Plenty happened, not too much, but we'll recap the biggest events of the off-season that you might have missed, you might not have missed, but we'll recap it all. And we'll also be talking about some of the hottest topics, and not just NASCAR, but also V8 supercars, IndyCar, and Formula One. There's a lot going on. So, folks, welcome back to Speed zone it's a pleasure to be back on the air this year in 2024 for the first episode of speed zone and let's jump in right now with the first segment flag to flag Welcome to Flag to Flag, a recap of the week that was in motorsports, as Ben Cower covers everything you might have missed in this past week of racing action and starting, I guess, a, a correction, not the past week, but the past off-season of racing action, plenty happened. Let's start out with the 38th Chili Bowl Nationals that happened Saturday, January 13, 2024, again, this year. Uh, it was a multi-day show, but we'll focus on the A-Main in the main race of the Chili Bowl Nationals. And the winner for the second consecutive year was Logan Seavey. Again, Logan Seavey captured his second straight Golden Driller Trophy that Saturday night during the 38th Annual Chili Bowl Nationals. Took the lead from pole sitter Buddy Kofoid on the opening lap of the A-Main and went on to lead every single lap of the 55-lap main event. Again, Kofoid went on to finish P6, so he dropped through the field just a tad. But Kofoid, again, it was a best... Or it was, he was, excuse me, he did not finish sixth. I got him mixed up. But he finished second, which was his career best in the Chili Bowl Nationals. And he was followed up by Corey Day, who completed the podium. Uh, Dazen Persley finished fourth. And Hank Davis routed out the top five in the Chili Bowl Nationals. There was multiple NASCAR drivers that attempted that race this year. Less than usual, Kyle Larson didn't even make it. Uh, he got eliminated in the alphabet soup in the days before. He didn't even make it to Saturday. Obviously, Kyle Larson, a multi-time winner of the Chili Bowl Nationals, known as one of the dirt, best dirt racers in the country. Uh, really, arguably, the shock of the entire Chili Bowl Nationals, as he even showed up as a surprise, wasn't even supposed to run. But Kyle Larson, again, failed to make that main show, and the star of the 38th Chili Bowl Nationals was none other than Logan C.V. yet again. Now on to the 56th Snowball Derby at Five Flags Speedway happened December 3rd, 2023. So really the last big race of last year. And your winner was number 91, Ty Majeski, for his second career Snowball Derby win. Again, Majeski uh, collected his second Tom Dawson trophy in a dramatic 56th annual Snowball Derby as he inherited the lead with just six laps to go with Stephen Nassi and Bubba Pollard both battling for their first wins in the Snowball Derby. Came 
came together during an intense battle for the top spot, both wrecking heading into turn one in the closing laps of the race, making contact. Majeski then held off Gio Ruggiero on the final restart of the race, finishing ahead of Ruggiero and Travis Braden, friend of the show, uh, by over a second, just over a second, a hair, uh, 1.042 to be exact. And Majeski, now the 12th driver to win one, more than one snowball derby in his career. Rich Bickle has the most wins in the event at five. While Majeski joins a list of two-time winners that includes Augie Grill, Bobby Gill, Chase Elliott, Dickie Davis, Eric Jones, Freddie Fryer, and Gary Ballow, and also Gary St. Amont. Kyle Busch and Wayne Nydecken also included on that list. Also a special win for Majeski and his team as the team made its 10th appearance in the Snowball Derby. Now as those two wins and uh, five top five finishes in those 10 races in the Snowball Derby, his career has taken him to the highs of NASCAR's Craftsman Truck Series. In the meantime, competed for a title this past season there. And again, his first Snowball Derby all the way back in 2014. Now on to the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona. In a 24-hour race that took place at Daytona International Speedway from Saturday, January 27th, all the way through Sunday, January 28th. So again, 24 hours of racing. And the overall winner of the event was the number 7 Penske Racing Porsche, piloted by Felipe Nazar, Matt Campbell, Dane Cameron, and reigning Indy 500 winner Joseph Newgarden. Again, it was also the winner in the GTP class. The overall winner uh, held on for its first major endurance victory for Porsche, uh, with a Porsche 963, also the first overall victory for Team Penske in the race since 1969. The number 31 Whelan Engineering Cadillac held on for a second, and the number 40 Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Acura still finished third, despite its earlier electrical issues. An LMP2, it was the number 18 uh, era Motorsport Orica that scored the victory after pulling out a sizable lead over its competition in the final green flag run, piloted by Ryan Dalziel, Connor Zilich, Dwight Merriman, and Christian Rasmussen. And GTD Pro, the number 62 Rizzi Competizione, uh, uh, Compe- it's, it's French, sorry, Italian, and went unchallenged after the issues after the number one uh, BMW fell apart uh, again, late in the race. And then in GTG, or GTD, uh, the number 57 Windward Racing Mercedes took home the victory, the team's second in the race in the last four years. Uh, and then finally, onto the NASCAR Bush Light Clash. On Saturday night was scheduled for Sunday night, but got shifted ahead because of the record storm going on in the Los Angeles area. As of late, torrential downpour, lots of flooding, and NASCAR decided to move the race a day earlier than it usually would be. So in the winter of the Bushlight Clash in the day before. It was a bit of a skim crowd, but again, solid, considering it was already, it's already in L.A., has a fickle crowd. But Denny Hamlin, the winner, the fourth Clash win of his career, led 141 of the scheduled 150 laps. Ken was yards away from the finish line when Ty Gibbs spun off the bumper of Kyle Larson's Chevy to bring off the seventh caution of the event. Forced a two-lap overtime in that two-lap shootout for the win. Hamlin stayed clear of runner-up Kyle Busch and crossed the stripe with a .6 second advantage, earning his fourth victory. The season opening exhibition race, the most among active drivers, with the first three coming at Daytona International Speedway. Given the prediction of heavy rain and 
again, possible flooding. NASCAR made that unprecedented and provident call to move up the start of the race to 8 p.m. Uh, from Sunday, the day before. Again, the top five of that event. Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, a bridesmaid yet again. Ryan Blaney had to work his way through the field. Your champion last year in the NASCAR Cup Series. Again, finished P3. Ky- or, uh, Joey Logano, P4 and Kyle Larson with that contact with Ty Gibbs, who was so dominant or running up front in the event. Uh, It was Kyle Larson rounding out the top five. We'll take a quick break here on Speed Zone, and when we come back, it'll be a rather short version of the best segment of the show, What's Up This Week, where I get to tell you what's going on this week in the world of racing as we get back up to speed here in 2024. Stay tuned. More Speed Zone up next right here on WMUL-FM. Hi, this is Morgan Freeman. Has anyone ever said you are the picture of health? You look healthy and you feel fine, but that may not be the full picture. Colorectal cancer is the second leading cancer killer of men and women over 50. Doesn't always cause symptoms, but it can be prevented. Get screened. Make sure you are the picture of health. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. What's up this week? And what is up this week? Not really much, but still, gotta have a segment because I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna hang you out to dry here about what's happening. It's the World of Outlaws. The World of Outlaws finally back after its off-season. A four-day show for the Federated Auto Parts Dirt Car Nationals down in Barberville, Florida at Volusia Speedway Park. Again, tonight, Wednesday night, the first of those four races all the way through Saturday evening. Four straight nights of racing. Again, at the Federated Auto Parts Dirt Car Nationals at Volusia Speedway Park. World of Outlaws looking a little different than it was last year, obviously, with some of the rival series started up by Brad Sweet, Kyle Larson. So it'll be interesting to see how the World of Outlaws pushes forward this season with some of the changes in the lineup. Uh, But obviously a four-day show down in Florida to kick off the season for the World of Outlaws. It'll take a little less than a month off after this four-day show. So if you want that taste of World of Outlaws racing after a long off-season, hey, it's your time. Four straight nights of racing starting tonight, so make sure to tune in for that later tonight. Again, the Federated Auto Park Dirt Car Nationals down in Barberville, Florida at Volusia Speedway Park tonight through Saturday. We'll take another quick break here on Speed Zone, and when we come back, it will be the Racing Roundtable. We've got a full panel tonight, folks, and lots to talk about. Stay tuned. More up next here on Speed Zone. Mia Hamm. As a professional soccer player, I know how rewarding sports can be and how quickly injuries happen. So I've teamed up with the American Association of Orthodontists to ask athletes to play it safe. With my years of training, I know what it takes to become an expert, and orthodontists do too. They're the experts who help people obtain healthy, beautiful smiles. Wear mouth guards, face masks, and helmets to prevent injuries. Keep smiling and visit braces.org. Hey, if you don't want to listen, get your earplugs ready, because we're about to hear some high-octane debate. It's time for the Racing Roundtable, with your host Ben Cower and multiple guest panelists. Whew, now that that's over, who's at the table today? 
And who is at the table today? It shouldn't be a shock. They're back. You heard them a lot last season, and guess what? They're both back today. It's none other than Dale Garrett and Sean Kelly. Thanks, guys, for being on the show tonight. We're back, baby. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. It's great to be back. It is great Even to be back. Even as an alum, it's great to be back. Yeah, Dale Garrett graduated. Recently graduated. Dale. I'm an old guy. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Congratulations, Dale. You graduated from college. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> All right. We have uh, plenty of topics to go over tonight, as uh, obviously we'll start out with the NASCAR Cup Series uh, at the Clash in the Coliseum, where obviously, again, just starting out tonight, your guys' thoughts on the Clash. Was it a good race, a bad race? Your opinion, your thoughts on the race. Dale, we'll start with you. I thought it was a good race. Um, certainly an improvement over last year. Last year was just a mess. Um I want to say they had 27 cars out there last year, and it was caution after caution after caution, which, you know, that that that's generally what this race is, is just running into the back of the guy in front of you because you don't have anywhere to go. But I felt like this year it was a little more action-packed, a little more tame across the field. Um, you know, I thought it was the right move by, by moving the race because Sunday morning, that was all the headlines, was uh, California's underwater. So <laughs> pretty much anyways. But... Um, yeah, um, I just thought that was the right move by doing that, and just more action-packed overall. So I was satisfied with it. I agree with it being a more a a, a less chaotic race. It, it was I describe it as a good race with camera work on the TV broadcast. That could probably that could probably be improved in places, but other than that, I mean, I, I agree. It was less of a wreck fest, which is is great and uh, solid racing up front. Some good contact here and there and it, it was about as good as you can get at the coliseum mm-hmm. and i i also agree with it moving up being saturday uh with saturday with how bad the weather was in california i mean the it one of the videos i saw like to give a perspective in los angeles of how bad it was like the los angeles river which consistently it's a place where you know music videos are filmed with it, it's that low it, it was actually filled like an actual river with how much rainwater there was. But one of the things I saw with this was the argument that the argument that Daytona should be hosting Speed Weeks again. And with that, I, my opinion is just it. That's another case as many NASCAR fans are one to do of letting nostalgia take over more than actual business and logic uh, sense. <laughs> Yeah, with <laughs> I mean that that race you, you you talk about the chance of it being a wreck fest. I mean there have been there have certainly been years where you know half the field in in in, in the clash is gone due to some big wreck or whatever. There's just as likely of a chance of that happening at Daytona. And really, the main argument in my opinion would just be continuity's sake, and other than nostalgia, just the convenience in people's mind of oh. NASCAR starting again. It's Daytona. It's starting in Daytona. All right, cool. Just like at how how it always was. But other than that, I mean, where else are you really going to move it to? There's not many places other than the West Coast in California or Florida that could realistically and consistently hold the clash really other than that year after year. You could move it to Guadalajara, Mexico. Yeah. As NASCAR's thinking about it. What did he say? <laughs> Of course, Mexico. <laughs> well, that, when I think of Mexico, I think of NASCAR. 
<laughs> of which the Mexico series raced at the LA Coliseum, which I was disappointed of. That was that was one of my, not the racing obviously for the Mexico series. I was disappointed that that series was not put on the showcase that it was supposed to be, mm-hmm. where uh, obviously it was going to be in front of a another solid crowd at the LA Coliseum, way bigger than any crowd that it would have in Mexico, where. You know, the races for the Mexico Series are fairly well attended, but in comparison to anything on the state side, I mean, it's next to nothing. I I would argue it's probably comparable to crowds of, like, the Cars Tour here in America, where it's a couple thousand people for each race. It's not the biggest thing in the world, but obviously I I was a little disappointed that it did not get the showcase. You know, it got moved to, uh, the race was going to be on FS1 for the Mexico Series, too, and it got pushed, you know, to FS2, and nobody's watching FS2, and it was late. Uh, But for the actual Bushlight Clash for the Cup Series, I thought it was... It's suffer in its suffering this year of the Bristol dirt race dilemma, where in year three, the racing is the best it has been in the event. Yet, nobody was there to watch it. For good reason. Obviously, it was moved up a night ahead. It was supposed to be Sunday night and then moved up to Saturday. Uh, the ratings weren't what they were what they were supposed to because obviously it got moved. It was going to be a, a primetime slot on Fox on a Sunday where there's no football for the first time in months. And then obviously gets shifted a night ahead. And it's on FS1 and still a million and a half people tuned in to watch it, which is solid. You know, it's that's enough for uh, you know, it's a solid show. Uh, for Saturday night and relatively unannounced. I mean, I don't think most people didn't know. I was calling a basketball game on Saturday. I didn't even know. I got back home and I saw that the race was, or it was the practice for it, um, of which I was also bummed that the or the uh, heats got scratched, where I was really looking forward to those. Uh, they've always been kind of a crapshoot in recent years, but that's kind of one of the coolest things of the clash where has heat races you're able to race your way in the only time we ever get that in cup series besides the clash is at the all-star race and that's only because of well i mean the format in recent years but i digress uh i thought the racing was good it was much cleaner than it was last year even with still a couple cautions you got to see that aggression out of people that you rarely see kind of in the cup series where guys have the coolest heads in the cup series probably out of any series in nascar and then but still you saw some unhappy campers. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was not very happy with uh, John Hunter Nemechek. Uh, Bubba was just driving through people after he was driven through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, the contact where Ty Gibbs went around, Joey Logano and Ty Gibbs making contact, and that argument after the race that kind of blew up on social media where there really wasn't any fisticuffs or anything. It was just a war of words. But it was It was funny because it's... It's like Joey Logano looking himself, looking at a younger version of himself, where Ty Gibbs, incredibly talented uh, driver, very young, looks like he's 15 years old. But guess what? He races like a veteran, just a little more aggressive. And Sliced bread Ty he, Gibbs. Yeah, sliced bread Ty Gibbs. and Sliced crust. He and Logano went at it a little bit. I mean, obviously more so on the track than off the track, but, you know, just a little bit of tempers rising before the season starts uh, nascar drawing up probably what it wants to see a little bit of intrigue entering daytona maybe guys some guys not liking each other who knows but the racing overall was fine uh, i just it's a shame because just like the bristol dirt race which is now axed 
which is also it's frustrating because Bristol is such a great track, but the dirt race was in year three a really good race. Uh, it's it's suffering from that where no nobody really saw it outside of some of the TV audience of which I mean just to put it in perspective one one and a half million people tuned in for the move up to Saturday night usually in the past on Fox it's been upwards to five million people per race you know the last two years and there was not America missed out on Machine Gun Kelly performing which I'm sure everybody's Darn. Everyone, darn, everyone, oh, darn. That was what everyone was oh, waiting for no. in, in the Bush clash. Yeah, that's why I was watching. <laughs> and then as soon as I heard that MGK was going to be performing, I do like the point that hit you, the remote. I do like the point that you kind of <laughs> touched on, though, of the idea of the luster wearing off of, of, of new things like this. And I kind of see it in a similar way of like it does with any sort of new stadium in other sports where uh, a, a, a team uh, has the first couple of years. And overall, the the play the the play on the field might be struggling, but you think, oh, it's 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 a new place. This is cool. And then after year three, as it is here, in the average fan's mind, the mind wanders, and you go, all right, we're we're still here. All right, we're still in the same situation. But it, it would really be a shame if after the racing actually gets uh, builds up and drivers uh, get get more accustomed to it and, and, and the driving gets better as soon as it actually gets to a point where it's really good it switches off to daytona or i don't know twin ring motegi or wherever <laughs> wherever, wherever nascar wants to move it to next and experiment with but yeah it, i'd that's another thing i like the clash in la it's good. I think people forget how bad the clash of Daytona got in recent years before. It's the reason why it's in L.A., because people got really sick and tired. Owners, especially the car owners, the drivers, because it was just a wreck fest. You're tearing up equipment. Uh, it's expensive for a race that really doesn't matter at all, because the driving standards just <laughs> went downhill exponentially, and guys just were racing out of desperation and just wrecking each other. It was... At Daytona, it just got messy down the stretch, uh, of which it had been bubbling up for years and years and years. But just with how modern plate racing is, that's just how the racing happens. There's always these big wrecks in every single race. So uh, I, it's funny to me seeing everybody clamor for, oh, we should bring it back to Daytona. I, I really disagree. I, I enjoy being in L.A. Uh, I think NASCAR should be vig uh, stay vigilant on potentially losing ground in that market because if the crowd doesn't come back next year in LA, I think NASCAR deserves to at least give it another chance next year in LA. But And especially with it, Fontana it, like switching yeah. uh, switching its uh, There's nothing configuration in and how California and how negative That's Sonoma. Yeah. It, and well I I thought I said Fontana. My bad. No, uh, no, 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 no. You did say Fontana. I was just saying there's nothing. There's no oval racing left in California for yeah. the NASCAR Cup Series. It's, it's just Sonoma. But with how negative of a reaction that got from the majority of NASCAR fans, and if that attendance dips, and then L.A., the, the clash is gone in L.A., that opens up a whole other can of worms. Mm-hmm. Dale, any final thoughts? Yeah, um, just there's one huge problem with the way this year's race went and it's that NASCAR definitely lost their tails on this investment big time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, they're going to have to refund everybody who bought tickets. It was free admission. Your merch sales are gone. Your concession sales are gone. Mm. Whatever money was lost in the MGK. Yeah, yeah there's that. Pa paving 
that track always cost yes. well over a million to That's put down asphalt cheap. in yeah. a football stadium. So is it confirmed to be back in L.A. next year? Well, they haven't confirmed anything. We'll, we'll have to wait. Okay. During the season when the next schedule release gets, or whenever it comes out, September probably, but... I don't think it will be because I think the loss was so substantial. It will be really... I think there's a good chance that NASCAR could send it to Mexico next year, but Mm -hmm. I I think that would be... It'd be intriguing, but I... That's a good word for it. NASCAR would have to be... uh, The logistics would have to work out Mm -hmm. where... Obviously, NASCAR uses the clash to kind of build up momentum in an area where, you know, really think of Southern California as a big NASCAR country, you know. It's it's not teeming with NASCAR fans, presumably, but uh, obviously NASCAR could use the clash to kind of shift it around and drive maybe internationally, Mexico. I mean, Sean mentioned Japan with twin, win, t- twin ring Motegi, which I know is damaged, but, you know, you could go race it at the road course there i mean uh wilkesboro was damaged yeah wilkesboro was damaged you could fix it up i mean i think this is it's a very interesting case for nascar i just hope it if it can stay in la give it another chance because i think if it it deserves another chance with how the racing was this year give la another chance even with the the big financial loss on the there's really no roi on this race this year which is going to be killer so we'll move on to the next topic, which is Formula One, which uh, Lewis Hamilton, in a massive move in the recent in the past week, uh, really bombshell for years and years and years. If you haven't been watching Formula One for contextual purposes, Lewis Hamilton is one of, if not the greatest Formula One driver uh, in history. He's won as he's won so many titles, so many races, and truly a legendary driver on the circuit. And for the last decade, really, uh, he is he and Mercedes have been the dominant team on the grid. And it was unstoppable. He and Nico Rosberg and eventually uh, Valtteri Bottas, uh, everybody that you could throw in those two cars. You could throw anybody. You could throw Joe Graff Jr. in that car, and he'd win an F1 title. And obviously, with the emergence of Red Bull racing in recent years, that has gone by the wayside. And Mercedes has kind of fallen down the grid just a tad. It's still a top three or four team, but uh, Ferrari's above it. Uh, Red Bull is obviously above it. And, you know, uh, Aston Martin last year flirted with being above it. McLaren, too, started out rough with the new car, but has now shifted into being very competitive. Mercedes has fallen down the grid a little bit. And Lewis Hamilton announced, even after signing an extension last year, uh, that he's going to be jumping to Ferrari for 2025. And obviously that is a massive move. Uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. is now on his way out of Ferrari at the end of this year. He's the lame duck. And it'll be Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc in Ferrari next year. So I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Sean, we'll start with you. Uh, originally you asked if it was the right move, and I wouldn't say, I'm not going to say a, a resounding yes, but I I'm not mad at the move either either way. I mean, you mentioned briefly how Mercedes has dipped in quality the past two years. In the last two years, it's failed to win a Grand Prix for the first time since 2011. And even though many pundits and fans have called it a risk, I mean, that was the same situation Lewis Hamilton was in almost 10 years ago now with moving from McLaren to Mercedes. People said the same thing about that. And look what happened there. Yep. And you mentioned this as well, but 
Ferrari, even though it's you know it's not Red Bull, it's not Red Bull, but it, it's still up there in, in manufacturers. One in of the, the best three. Exactly. On the grid. Exactly. Twenty twenty two was second. Twenty twenty three was third behind Mercedes. And so and there's new with the new engine regulations. Hamilton knows something that we don't, and what that means with the changes with how Mercedes will run with that and how Ferrari might improve. There's something. There's something there, and uh, Hamilton might see it as not the easy way out to possibly get another another championship, but one of the better situations and something that he could uh, even make better. Yeah, you know, if this is nothing new across any sports, if the results aren't there, you know, regardless of how long your relationship has been, it might be time for a change. And I don't necessarily see anything wrong with this. It's just a slight move as far as equipment goes he's in my book. T- he's taking some of his uh, trusted engineers with him too, where he, he uh, Hamilton, is taking some very important people at Mercedes with him, but it's kind of his guys. You know, he's taking mm-hmm. his guys. It's like when a coach in the NFL will move over to another team mm-hmm. and he'll just poach his guys. I'm a Cowboys fan. It's like Dan Quinn now is the head coach of the Washington Commanders, and he took much of his defensive staff from Dallas with him to Washington. And that's just kind of what's going on in the Hamilton situation. Uh, I just hope that it isn't like the situation a couple of years ago where... I don't know who's going to be the number one driver of this team. And that's kind of a big thing in Formula One, where you have your number one driver and you kind of have your number two. And this is really going to blur the lines where Charles Leclerc has been the clear number one at Ferrari for many years. He was so good that he ousted Sebastian Vettel. And Vettel kind of got, he was the extremely successful veteran that was the face of Ferrari and then got pushed by the wayside. And now Ferrari goes out and gets Lewis Hamilton and... No, Hamilton is not the youngest driver out there, but he still is one of the best drivers in the entire world. I'm just a little worried about the dynamic of what might happen there between Hamilton and Leclerc and who will be the number one, because I don't know if Ferrari can make those two coexist as co-number ones, you know what I mean? So the question to ask now is, will that competition elevate or crumble the organization? Anything can happen. Uh, We'll take a quick break here at the half hour, and when we return, we'll have more discussion here on the Racing Roundtable segment of Speed Zone. This is Usher. I've spent years mentoring youth and have seen how volunteering and service teaches young people the skills they need to become leaders and sets them on the path for success. This is about you. It's about your power. It's about creating change on your terms by volunteering. The truth is, you can do anything. Join me in answering the president's call to service. Go to serve.gov today. This message is brought to you by United We Serve and the Corporation for National and Community Service. And welcome back to Speed Zone. After that quick break, we're here with Sean Kelly and Dale Garrett on the Racing Roundtable segment. And we'll move on to the next topic. Keeping in Formula One, uh, Red Bull Racing, we just mentioned it as it's been so dominant over the last two to three years in the world of Formula One. Its team principal, Christian Horner, is currently under investigation within the team for alleged misconduct after the team's most successful season ever. 
and a historically dominant season in Formula One. A- avoiding speculation here, guys. Uh, your your pure brief thoughts on the matter because it's not too much news, but it is newsworthy. Sean, we'll start with you. It's uh, with with how much of it is still being figured out and not too official at this point. I'm not going to say much on it, but. Uh, how successful Horner and Verstappen have have been together I mean three consecutive championships between the uh, with those two it, it's it's a shame what that'll do to that relationship whether you know e- either way it goes but it's just a, a situation that's, that's still getting figured out so that's really all I have to say on that at the moment yeah Christian Horner is again he's a very prominent team principal in formula one uh, and team four if you're not again if you're not familiar with formula one and what a team principal's role is i mean it's really the team leader this is the the head guy of the team he's in charge of everything and uh horner has put together a the most dominant team in the history of the sport which it red bull won just about everything last year in Formula One, and that's really never happened before. It's been a really long time since the team has been that dominant, uh, just overall, where no team was close to Red Bull last year. And now, this bombshell report where alleged misconduct within the team uh, of, you know, whether, again, this investigation is still ongoing, but... If this whole, the domino effect that can come from this, I mean, Red Bull at its peak, this could be the potential downfall of this, where as quickly as as it's summited, it could all come tumbling down. If Horner is released from the team, uh, obviously this investigation, it could be swift, it could go a while, who knows, but I'm sure Red Bull does not want to get rid of its guy that has, you know, has put together this powerhouse of a program you know that's the last thing that it really wants to do but if he is found guilty of whatever this misconduct is and to the severity of it i mean the the hum in the formula one garage is that it's been fairly severe it's it's not great uh anything can happen here and that would be just another i mean two straight bombshell reports really in a week span for formula one where you have hamilton to ferrari which is insane and then you also have Horner could be ousted from Red Bull Racing. That could completely, two things that could completely change the tide and the story of the entire season where how will Hamilton perform as a lame duck in Mercedes this year? Will Mercedes potentially bump itself up on the grid? Or how far will Red Bull fall if Horner leaves the team? Will things fall apart? Who knows? It certainly opens up an interesting question of how this will open up the competition in F1 between Red Bull if this changes anything with how things go this season or and Mercedes and everything everyone else certainly and we'll move on to the next topic staying in international motorsports news V8 supercars uh, as its most recent champion last year Brody Kostecki uh, was racing for Erebus Motorsports he, or Erebus Motorsport and was driving the number 99 machine Coca-Cola was sponsoring also Shaw and Partners it's a law firm in Australia if you've never watched V8 supercars before it's an Australian motorsport it's essentially the thing most comparable to it is it's the 
Australian version of NASCAR, except it just races on road courses instead of majority ovals like NASCAR does. Even the cars are relatively similar, where they're stock car bodies, you know, Chevy, Ford, really those are the teams competing. There's on the third manufacturer right now in V8 Supercars. But again, the big news as of late is that Brody Kostecki, who just won his first ever title, it was Erebus Motorsports' first ever title in V8 Supercars, and just as quickly as everything has come together where Erebus was not this dominant team, but has kind of built up to this point and recent, very recent years, and then just kind of struck gold with this new car that V8 Supercars has had. Kostecki on the outs. He is not. He's not going to race for Erebus, uh, at least for race one of this season, and presumably the remainder of the schedule. And he's gone. Uh, Erebus, in his absence, has filled is filled in the gaps. Uh, also losing Will Brown, who was the second best driver last year, also for Erebus, uh, went to Triple Eight, which is the most prominent team in V8 supercars. Kostecki now on the out, uh, filling him in with Todd, Todd Hazelwood and Jack LeBrock filling in. Again, two guys that have never really had nearly the amount of success that Will Brown and Kostecki have had, but lots of inner team drama, again, just building off of almost in a similar vein to uh, what's going on in Red Bull racing uh, on the Formula One side. A lot of Drama within Erebus Motorsport, and I mentioned Coca-Cola and Sean Partners specifically because both of those sponsors have left Erebus in the wake of this Kostecki drama, and Kostecki obviously, very notably, last year, even during his uh, his win, or his, his championship win in V8 Supercars, went and raced in NASCAR. Had a one-off in the NASCAR Cup Series at the Indianapolis Road Course. Had some speed, had some pace. Has raced in the uh, back when it was the NASCAR K&N Series, west or east, but had some starts there in 2014. Has obviously raced stock cars before and is going to be back in Cup this year for a couple races on the road courses with the same team, RCR, but Obviously, things falling apart at Erebus, Kostecki on the outs. Should Kostecki stay in V8 Supercars, try and find another team as he's wanted to, or should this drama make him seriously consider a move stateside to NASCAR and follow in the shoes of the recently departed to NASCAR, Shane Van Gisbergen? Dale, we'll start with you. You know... Kostecki has expressed interest, obviously, as you touched on, Ben, running uh, Indianapolis Road Course last year for RCR in the Cup Series. He's expressed interest in doing it, and, you know, maybe this is the perfect storm. Maybe it's the right time. I don't know. Uh, I have noticed that it would appear SVG, Shane Vangisbergen, is friends with Brody. Yes. Good friends, to my understanding. Mm -hmm. And if I'm him... Why don't you just consult with him and see what he thinks about it? Give a little career advice. Now, I'm not saying, you know, okay, yeah, I'll go run cup with you or whatever. Yeah, but, it's not that easy. Right, right. So, but for him to shift his focus and potentially explore NASCAR opportunities, I don't think he should rule it out by any means. I don't know enough about the V8 supercar landscape to know what's out there, so I'm not going to comment on that. But, you know, as somebody who's kind of an outsider to it, and knows a lot about NASCAR, that's, you know, he should definitely explore the NASCAR avenue. I I mean, to my knowledge, his plan already was in 2025 to make that transition, and this isn't the first time that this sort of situation has happened in supercars of a championship driver moving to another team with 
James Courtney being one of those examples in 2010. He went from Dick Johnson racing to Holden racing. But the thing there was he had a he had, he had a ride lined up, and I would if Kostecki does not. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. And if Kostecki does end up just going, uh, staying with NASCAR, uh, staying in NASCAR part time and not doing anything, whether it's another one-off race like he did last year. I mean, he's shown that he can be at least moderately successful in good equipment, like he did with RCR. But he doesn't. He only has that one race with RCR, and then a couple in the KNN series. I would, I, I would like the move better if he had some sort of other plan lined up, because we've talked before about how the Australian supercar is. Very similar to the cup car. Exactly, and that's part of what made Shane Van Gisbergen so successful. Mm -hmm. But the other thing there is Shane Van Gisbergen also had more years in in, in the Australian Supercar Series. He had the dominance that he's had the past couple of years. Yeah, three titles. Three titles in seven years. But Kostecki's only really had five years in Australian Supercars, in, in that series at least, and that's really been about it. So I would like it better if he like the move better if he stayed at least part time in uh, part of the season in supercars and then make that uh, a smoother transition into NASCAR. But even then, we don't really know how long this is going to go. And I know he's going to not run Bathurst, but I don't know how long that's going to stay. Yeah, it'll be so he'll be missing the season opening race at Bathurst, and it's already tough. It sets him behind the eight ball and just about takes him out of title contention from race one. That's how serious this is. Where uh, Kostecki does not have a lot, he does not have a ride lined up. And uh, again, Sean, you mentioned that you know these cars very similar to the NASCAR Cup Series cars. It's why he was able to make that even run that race. Uh, in at the Indianapolis Road Course, and he does not have anything lined up on the Cup side. I mean, another thing is uh, Erebus had that partnership with RCR, and with the team essentially going down the tubes right now on the V8 Supercar side, I I would presume that entire partnership's going to fall apart. I mean, Erebus, it's not. It, it was really in that ballpark to run Kostecki because Richard Childress is a big fan of Kostecki, uh, has you know brought him back to the states in the offseason to have him just test stuff out and even uh, was in the passenger seat of a car that Kostecki was driving on a, on a closed circuit. I forget where, but either way, Richard Childers really likes Kostecki and thinks highly of him. Now that Erebus is kind of falling apart and obviously Kostecki's not tied to Erebus, I don't know if that deal will still uh, stick around, but the one idea that has been thrown around and was begged upon by a former owner in V8 Supercars. His name is escaping me at this moment, but V8 Supercars, much like NASCAR in the Cup Series, has a limit on how many cars a team can enter, whereas in the Cup Series for NASCAR, a team can at max enter four cars per race. That has not always been the rule, but since the very mid to late 2000s, that has been the rule. Only four cars maximum. V8 Supercars has a similar rule, where you can at max run only two cars. Uh, So the majority of teams are at max, obviously, two. Some are just privateer one-car teams, but there's more. There's a lot of two-car teams. Uh, The proposition was that Triple Eight, which, again, is the biggest, best team in the sport and really has the the money if it wanted to run a third car. Most teams could not. Triple Eight could. And if Triple Eight could wheel out 
another car just to start out the season and make sure that Kostecki is getting rides and heck I mean maybe that could just become a new norm for supercars uh, that you don't want to lose Kostecki. That's a huge loss for the sport. Could you imagine if Ryan Blaney, after winning the title last year and with the big new Netflix series center, you know, he's the star of it now that he's the champion. He won the championship last year. Could you imagine if he wasn't driving the Cup Series this year? It'd be impactful. Yeah, that'd be massive. And obviously, with supercars losing a lot of its recent champions in recent years, as you know, you have. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen going stateside, and then you have McLaughlin, uh, who was the best in the sport, won three titles in like five or six years, uh, was super dominant with Penske, and then went to travel to America to run an IndyCar. And really, V8 Supercars has been used as kind of a just a, a, a talent pool in recent years for American racing series, where Van Gisbergen's now making an attempt in NASCAR. Uh, Scott McLaughlin is now an IndyCar and has had plenty of success, has won multiple races, title contender. And then now, Kostecki hung out to dry. I, as a fan, would love to see him in NASCAR. I'd love to see him in NASCAR. He's very much the Ross Chastain of the V8 Supercar Series, which is he had to mature into the role that he got into and now is on the outs. I'd love to see him take that leap to NASCAR, but as of now, I don't see it happening outside of whatever races he's allotted the RCR. But Erebus, as a team, its management is an absolute mess. Uh, that's been kind of the lesson learned here, the fact that it has no sponsors heading, in a, in, heading into this season. It lost its gigantic corporate sponsor. It had just landed in Coca-Cola. And just the snap of the fingers, it's gone. So things have changed tremendously. And I just hope that Kostecki lands on his feet. We'll move on to the next topic. IndyCar. We will shift over again to stateside. IndyCar floating in this offseason. Very controversially, uh, a NASCAR Cup charter-like idea to its teams that would lock full-time teams into every race, including, most controversially, the Indianapolis 500. Uh, This was tried out in CART many years ago, where uh, entries were locked in, and it it did not go well. CART was a Penske-owned series, IndyCar owned by Penske now. Obviously, IndyCar wants to keep the sport healthy, keep its teams around, help it help its teams gain sponsorships as it worked in NASCAR, but for the fans, very controversial, especially with the Indianapolis 500, which has the prestige of bump day, where anybody can get eliminated from the field if you have a bad day. Last year, it was Graham Rahal, one of the best, you know, were one of the most prominent names in the series for many years, didn't make the race. James Hinchcliffe also missed the race in the past. Big names have missed this race in the last decade and throughout the years. That's why this is so controversial. But I posed to the panel tonight, in your opinion, is this a good idea for the health of IndyCar to institute kind of a charter-like system to lock teams into races? Or is this a terrible idea? Sean, we'll start with you. I will certainly say that it's already not off to a good start. Already between... Just the fact that the last time this happened, it was in the cart series, and we've we we know how the cart series turned out. Uh, it's uh, not saying that's going to happen to IndyCar, obviously, but just the fact that it it, it was a, only a thing in a failed uh, competitor series, not a great start, and it was already reported that the idea was floated to the owners by IndyCar and. It was met with a resounding no 
by the by the owners. Yeah, not a great not a great start there either. And from what I heard in researching it, the idea isn't even exactly like how the NASCAR one is set up, where teams can buy and then easily resell. It's more like a lease situation where you pay a certain number of times to keep it going. So business-wise, it doesn't really seem like a good idea. And it really seems like a situation that only only benefits the teams that are really going to make it into things like in the Indy 500 anyways. So it really just doesn't seem like a beneficial idea on multiple fronts. Well, Sean, you touched on it. Where's CART? It doesn't exist anymore. And with all the rumors and speculation around what charters are doing on the NASCAR side, where they are outrageously overpriced and inflated, that there's a reason they said no. Because they don't want, and especially if it's structured up like the lease thing, they don't want to be paying what's going to turn out to be a meaningless fee to just race and to guarantee themselves. And for for the Indy 500, yeah, you're going to eliminate a fan favorite tradition by, by doing that. Look how it's affected the Daytona 500. We barely have enough cars to, what do we bump, one or two a year now? Yeah. yeah. There used to be 10. 20. I mean, yeah, 2007, even more than there 10. Was, yeah. 2007, there was like 60 entries. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, Dale, you touched upon a really great point, is that this you know the spirit of tradition especially at indianapolis it's mm-hmm. the biggest race of the year for indycar the and biggest race in the world and, just, and look how, yeah and you touched on this too but look how these types of changes have affected nascar's fan base to its core fan base at least mm-hmm. and hate charters yeah you know the mo- majority of them I'm, I'm not saying that i do but i'm just saying that the majority of the fan base hates charters mm-hmm. it, it is discouraged what NASCAR loved uh, in competition of, hey, if you show up with a car and you're fast enough to make the race, hey, damn it, you made the race. You can race. You know, mm-hmm. race with the best. If you can run with the best. Now it's kind of like a country club. You know, hey, if you got the money to run, then buy a charter. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you can run as an open car, but you're not going to get any money. You're not going to get a-, a cent of the purse. And you just you never want to spit in the face of your fans, especially in IndyCar's precarious position where it's not exactly you know it's not above nascar formula one uh, you know is competing with it for re- arguably the number two motorsport mm-hmm. in uh in america i mean formula one with all the momentum because of the netflix series in recent years but indycar is in a competition and it, it is not in a safe position and it cannot afford to hemorrhage any of its fan base right now and anger it and, and piss it off by spitting in its face and just throwing out tradition for security and it's good for the teams but then again when teams go out of business new teams will pop up that's always happened at any car just ruining this tradition of open cars if you can show up and you can make the race you can run with the best that's what's great about IndyCar compared to things like NASCAR and Formula One especially because of this offseason with the Andretti drama but uh it's you can show up and race and run. It's pure in that way. You're getting rid of that purity by by introducing a charter-like system that the fans are not going to like, the teams don't like. The only person that would like it would be Roger Penske and the people that run IndyCar because guess what? The money's just going to get funneled to him, and he already won, runs the best team in IndyCar. So, oh well. I <laughs> my opinion on it, short and sweet. 
Terrible idea. Don't do it. On to the next topic, back to NASCAR. Uh, we'll keep this one also short. Uh, just in general, guys, what do you think of the new Cup Series bodies? Obviously, Chevy didn't change in the offseason, but the new Ford Mustang and the new Toyota Camry, uh, some divisive opinions on how they look. Uh, Dale, we'll start with you. Looking kind of goofy, bro. <laughs> um <laughs> The Mustang especially, I, I don't understand the people who are like, man, this thing looks mean. It looks like a Honda Civic. It looks as the front end of a 2024 Honda Accord. It's, it's, Look it up on Google, it, folks. It's it bad. looks like that. Yeah, but I, for the super speedways, you watch those cars will be good pushers and they'll be fast. That's oh. probably why they did it. Oh, yeah. Along with the Toyota Camry, who kind of looks similar, which I... <sighs> looks like Squidward's nose. <laughs> yeah, it really does. I, I, don't, I don't really... I don't know. Uh, it, it's not appealing to look at in my eyes. Sean, what do you think? I mean, it, it, none of them look all that great looks wise. It, it's, it, but I mean, that's not the only thing. It'll be interesting to see what what they do, uh, what changes in super speedways, uh, how this affects drivers in any way. But certainly, looks wise, none of them really look great from the changes that were made. I love them. Ugh. I love the new cars. I'm just going to say it. I love them. I think they look cool. I love the new Mustang. The, the last Mustang looked great. The front, the new front end of this one looks so mean. It looks great. I, I said it looks like the front end of a Honda Accord, but it looks good. I like it. It looks mean. If and associate... the new Toyota, it's just kind of this dope nose looking thing. But then compared to the, the Camry body that it had before, yeah, it's not as good. But... Mm. I like it. It's unique in its own way, and I'm gonna. It's the way that nose is set up. Goodness gracious, that thing is gonna be able to push at the super speedways. That thing has the flattest nose out of anything. It's gonna be a monster at the super speedways. Fair enough. Fair points. But if you put the words "mean" and "Honda Accord" in the same sentence, <laughs> no, it just doesn't work. <laughs> well, yeah, it's. Oh well. The only I, time a Honda, like the only time a Honda's been mean is like Fast and Furious, and even Literally. though it wasn't yeah, a Ford, it was true. a Civic. It's got that VTEC power, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to the next topic. It was a long off season and silly season for NASCAR. We'll focus on the Cup Series here. Uh, posed to the panel at the round table. What were your most notable changes in the off season? Starting with you, Dale. I'll keep this short. Um, Noah Gregson give being given a second chance um i think that that's awesome you know obviously with the unfortunate circumstances that he ultimately put himself into but that's besides the point he's got talent he's proven it in xfinity and i think he deserves another shot albeit equipment wise i'll just say eh um obviously we really don't know how it's gonna go um we touched on it uh van gisbergen shane van gisbergen svg and xfinity full-time that's gonna be fun to watch i'm really excited about that and Almendinger being out of cup i think that that's huge and i think that will hurt colleague quite a bit um and deegan in xfinity was i'll just say oh boy to that and we'll see how that goes <laughs> and uh host of our cup uh it's been exciting for his handful of starts in the legacy 42 when legacy was struggling even though they were coming on there at the end of the year uh he proved to me that you know he belongs here and he can drive i'm not saying he's going to run like that in the 77 by any means but it'll certainly be interesting to watch given his reputation 
Uh, silly season-wise, the changes that were most that stood out the most to me. The first one was Shane Van Gisbergen going full time in Xfinity. I really like that move as uh, the best transition to uh, you not only have him still running Cup and fans can still see that in the select races that he runs there, but just more of a transition to just. Uh, not have it just be well he you know he ran good in these few races and then he just doesn't do anything in cup full time you know this year it's it's a better transition there and i also liked uh the uh, i'm excited to see what hosevar will do and and with spire more than anything else other than that the changes that i am interested in are track related the brickyard returning I'm kind of iffy on. I I didn't really like the races at at Indianapolis by the end, but it's going to be interesting to see it come back. Fontana turning into presumably a short track, whatever it turns into. I I don't. I'm not really a big fan of either. And then the chase schedule adding Watkins Glen is also an interesting change. I'm surprised not, neither of you mentioned Stuart Haas Racing. Oh my goodness, the change that happened this off season and really the last two years. I mean. Harvick is gone. The breadwinner of the team, uh, Bush, you know, is gone. The majority of the sponsors gone. It's mm-hmm. now Josh Berry is a rookie. Uh, the four car Noah Gragson, Dale, you did mention Gragson mm-hmm. specifically, but uh, Gragson now in the ten car with Eric Almirola gone. Smithfield gone, mm-hmm. uh, and. Really not a ton of sponsorship, especially with Gregson's uh, unfortunate situation last year. Ryan Priest is back. Chase Briscoe is back. But obviously a lot of changes in the offseason. It's Stuart Haas racing. Josh Berry, will he pan out? Won't he pan out? Who knows? Uh, obviously, uh, Legacy Motor Club, big change in the offseason. I mean, it's able to... It's the most composed it has looked in years, where notching that 38-race deal with uh, Dollar Tree and Family Dollar on sponsorship, uh, obviously going out and getting John Hunter Nemechek, who was the most dominant driver of the Xfinity Series last year, moving him up to cup, pairing him with a very capable driver in Eric Jones. I think that is a, a, a huge point of the offseason, and in keeping with teams here, Spire Motorsports going from really one competitive car last year in the 7 to 3, and 2 of its 3 with rookies in the car. Uh, Zane Smith and Carson Hosevar both running for Rookie of the Year with Corey LaJoey still in the 7 car. Uh, that is going to be fascinating to watch plan out if that team goes under, if a lot of wrecked race cars early on, or how that pans out. But I mean, Hosevar and Smith very talented drivers. Who knows how that will how that gamble will work out for Spire. Also, want to give a shout out to Rick Ware Racing. Uh, really, I'll focus on the teams here, where Rick Ware has been kind of the joke the Cup Series for many years since it's been up, but this has really been the offseason that it has made the most competent moves in trying to be competitive. I mean, heck, Justin Haley made the final. He made the show at the Clash. Easily. Easily. That car had pace. I think he qualified 8th or 10th somewhere in there. And he's got, he's got Chris Law- he has Chris Lawson as his crew chief. Lawson, if you recognize that name, again, he used to be a driver. He was the crew chief for Zane Smith when Front Row won the title in the mm-hmm. Truck Series two years ago. I mean, there's talent there, and especially on, on the... Uh, he's in the 51 car full-time, and the 15 went out and got Kaz Gralla for 25 races this year. Kaz is a very competent driver. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can do in the Cup Series. I can't 
can't wait to watch him at the road courses. Uh, and he'll also be running the 500 for front row and the 36 in an open car. Riley Herbst also going to be running some races in the 15. Was very competent in his starts in the Cup Series last year. And then really the only downside is the kind of the black eye that is Cody Ware. Uh, obviously that situation <laughs> is... Uh, nobody really wants to touch it with a 30-foot pole, but Cody Ware going to be back in a cup car for at least 10 races this season, so we'll see how he does, at least in cup equipment that is improved. Will Cody succeed in equipment that is arguably better, or who knows? Uh, but really good moves from Rick Ware Racing this offseason. I like it. Uh, but we'll move on to the final topic of the night. We'll play a game here late. It's called Too Early Predictions, keeping a NASCAR Cup. Uh, who will, and I'll post you guys first, win the title? Sean, I'll start with you. We're not even into the season yet, past the clash. Who the heck's going to win the title? Well, if we're go if we're just going on who is a champion, I'm going to say Kyle. I'm going to say Kyle Larson. He still ran second he, uh, in the standings, even with the shaky races that he had throughout the season i think he becomes more consistent this coming year and with cleaning that up i think he improves and comes champion this year yeah i like your pick sean I really <laughs> yeah I, I i knew you would um anyways my pick to win the title would be william byron this year because he was insanely consistent uh last year got a a lot of wins. I think it was was five, six, something crazy. Um, I just think this year he'll be as strong, if not stronger, out of the gate and continue that throughout the entire year. It's going to be fun to watch. I'm going to go with Ross Chastain with all the momentum behind that team. I what, The one thing I'm worried about is how aerodynamically behind the eight ball Chevy might be with some of the changes to Chevy or to uh, Toyota and Ford, but I love the momentum of that team right now. Obviously, it was a down year last year, but Chastain had championship winning speed two years ago. That team is still very intact. Trackhouse made a lot of investments in the offseason trying to change things around because things were not working the majority of last year. I have confidence in that one team. Now, Bush, uh, Anheuser-Busch has moved its sponsorship over that over to Chastain. He's got the fan support. He's got the momentum. He's got really the the, the world in his hands right now. The, the melon in his hands being the watermelon man. But uh, I like Chastain for a title. This year might be the year that the one team gets it done. Now we'll move on to Rookie of the Year. Who is going to win Rookie of the Year here in the NASCAR Cup Series? Dale, we'll start with you. Zane Smith, car number 71. And why? He, to me, has the edge over both of the others, who is Josevar and Barry. You know, I'm concerned about SHR still. I'm not sold on them yet. And Josevar is, while... Like I said earlier, proven himself, really talented, but I just think I just think that Zane Smith will beat him out in the long run. I'm go I, I'd really debated between Hosevar and Zane Smith, but I'm going with Hosevar. I really liked how he stepped up at Legacy last year and while there are questions of if he can stay that consistent next year, I I think for the most part he does. And I, I think that wins out over Zane Smith, and Hosvar had more time to really uh, figure it out last year, and I like what he did with that. Give me Josh Berry. 
I am unsure about Spire heading into this year. I don't know if that that team is massively expanded, and I don't know if it can handle it. I don't know how that team and how the season is going to go. Again, especially with two rookies out of the three cars in the Cup Series. Hosevar has had tremendous speed in the Cup Series, incredibly talented. Same with Zane Smith. But Josh Berry is set up to succeed this year. It just matters if he himself has the talent to cut it in the Cup Series and if Rodney Childers can elevate him. As a, as a driver, because Childers is his crew chief. The four team is still intact from what Harvick left there. Harvick wanted Barry as his replacement. Uh, the team has faith in Barry, but Barry has to have faith in his own ability, and he's got to step up to the plate this year. I think he does. I think at least, I don't know if he's going to go out and win a title, obviously, but uh, I think he's going to be the best of the three rookies. I could see it being a little bit of a bloodbath this year in the Rookie of the Year standings. I don't really see any particular of the three doing super well. But out of the bunch, I like Josh Berry the most. Now on to who's going to win the most races. Sean, we'll go with you. Most races, my gut feeling is to also say Larson, even though Chevy is a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of aerodynamics. I mean, he won four races last year. That was the second most, and I don't think William Byron has that same sort of season he had last year. I think there's a little bit of a a, a step back there, uh, even though he might still stay consistent. But nonetheless, I I was really debating putting in one of the Toyota drivers in in here, whether it be Logano with with an improvement from last year or Blaney or whatever that may be. But my gut feeling is to say Larson improves on the inconsistencies he had last year and steps it up this year. I'm torn between Hamlin and Byron for the same reasons as 2023. I I think that they're both going to be very strong once again, but I do think Hamlin will get beat for the title once again because he just beats himself every single year, and I'm not sure he's learned yet. Hamlin I also debated. Yeah, Hamlin is a good choice. I thought about going with Hamlin, but or William Byron. I'm going to go with a Ford. I'm going to go... With I don't know, I'm torn between Joey Logano and Ryan Blaney because those drivers are hot right now. Penske is on top of the world as a team. I'm going to go with, you know, he's had a couple down years. I'm going to go with Joey Logano. I think he's going to win the most races this year. It's an even year, so that's fair. Yeah, it's, it is an even year. I'm going to go with Logano because he'll always pop up every once in a while and just manage to win the most races and or just be a title contender. Blaney was the man last year for Penske, but Logano is always solid. He is one of the veteran drivers in the Cup Series. I feel like this might be a Logano year if it's not Hamlin or not Byron. Uh, I'm just betting on the Ford arrow changes to be good. And if, if, if Ford hit the nail on the head, watch out. I don't know. Next, we'll move on to who will be the most surprising team of 2024. Dale, we'll start with you. I think this will be pretty unanimous among the three of us, but Legacy. I really like the direction they're going, you know, with the backing from Family Dollar and Dollar Tree for the whole season between all two and sometimes three of their cars. Mm -hmm. And I just think I really like the direction they're going. And I think RFK will step up even further this year. Brad Kozlowski will visit Victory Lane. For most improved team, I'm also unsurprisingly going with Legacy. I like the change in going to Toyota in 2024, adding a consistent sponsorship, as Dale mentioned, and Family Dollar Dollar Tree also helps. And I'd, there was even change last year with how Josevar stepped up in the in the 42 after a really terrible first half with that car. But 
Yeah, I, I, I think legacy out of all of the teams going through changes steps up the most. I think that the most surprising team will be Stuart Haas Racing. <sighs> I have faith in that team to turn it around finally this year. There's arrow changes for the Ford, new drivers, new life being breathed into the team. No, I don't think Stuart Haas is going to go out and dominate the season. No. But realistically speaking, with how bad that team has been the last three years, an average year would be surprising at this point. That's why I'm choosing Stuart Haas Racing to be the most surprising team, because it's been so down for the count. People have crapped on it this offseason saying, oh, you know, it's not going to make any improvements. I think it does. I think it surprises some people. No, it's not going to be perfect. But I think Stuart Haas will exceed expectations and exceed the incredibly low bar people have set for it. And maybe it's just cherry-picking. Oh, it just only has to beat very low expectations. But I think it'll be, at best, you know, in the playoffs this year, one, two cars, who knows? But uh, I think Stuart Haas Racing is going to improve this year. As Tony Stewart mentioned this week, he's frustrated with how that team is running right now. It's got to make changes. It's got to improve or else changes will happen in the offseason yet again. But there's a lot of momentum going on there, a lot of changes in the offseason. I think Stuart Haas gets its crap together. Also, dark horse pick for most surprising team, Rick Ware Racing, with how low the bar has been for so many years. It might improve this year. Who knows what Haley and the other cavalcade of drivers and changes of that organization, especially the alliance with RFK mm-hmm. in the offseason, what that might bring to that team. Maybe it'll be even... It won't be last for once. Who knows? But finally, we'll end it, and it's probably a bad way to end it, but it's also the most intriguing question. Who or what will be the biggest disappointment of the year? We'll keep it between team, driver, We'll just keep between team or driver. What 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 will be the biggest disappointment of the year? Sean, we'll start with you. Most disappointing is a bold term to use for the uh, driver that I'm going to say, but I think William Byron takes a step back this year. After the year that he had last year with six wins, the career most for him, and a third-place finish, he was really consistent, and I, I, I do believe that he can stay consistent this year as well. But I, I, I think there's a lot of room for a step back from what he had last year. I think that team-wise, this is solely in Cup, Colic, because I'm sorry, Daniel Hemrick's not an anchor driver. No, he is majorly consistent, majorly talented to keep his nose clean, but he doesn't win races. And you know, with your bunch of drivers in the 16, yes, SVG is in the 16, and I think that he will be strong in terms of standards for that car. But I don't think he's going to light the world on fire with it. And it's just, I don't like the outlook that I see with Kulig on the cup side. Dare I say Shanvin Gisbergen? No, that's, I, that's, I, that's not out of the question. I am I am tempering my expectations for with, with Van Gisbergen because I think it's going to be, I think he'll eventually get to a point where it'll make sense to move him up to the cup series, but... I do not. It, it took Marcos Ambrose how many years to kind of get the feel of this, especially running oval tracks. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to happen. It's not going to happen overnight. And I think Justin Marks is counting on it happening overnight that 
Van Gisbergen is this going to show up and he's going to show out on the ovals. It's going to be a process this year. It's going to be ugly, and I I don't see. I think he'll be certainly a uh, contestant in being the biggest disappointment. Um, Colleg was a really good pick. I I was probably going to go with Colleg if you didn't say Colleg, but <laughs> if not Shane Van Gisbergen, I will go with I guess a more obvious pick here. He's in year three. He's in Penske equipment, <laughs> even though he drives for Wood Brothers Racing. Harrison Burton, he's got to step up this year. It's got to happen, right? I mean, there's. A, I was joking. We were joking before the show that you know this will be the year where he's mirroring how Elliott Sadler performed in the 21 car for the Wood Brothers, and the spring Bristol win is coming out of just nowhere. It's going to fall out of the sky, and Harrison Burton's going to win a race. But I don't know. I have no faith. I really don't. The last two years, have it has just been nothing in the same equipment that Penske has won the title with in the last mm-hmm. two years with the next-gen car. Logano, two years ago, Blaney last year, and Burton with cars that are prepped. And I know it's under the Wood Brothers banner, but it is they are Penske cars. They're prepped by Penske. It's the same equipment. It's the same setups. It's the same level of focus. And yet, he's just not able to get anything done. It's, it's a shame where I just see him as being maybe once again, the biggest disappointment, where he was able to win in the Xfinity Series, maybe the Gibbs equipment that it was running in kind of boosted his stock a little f- too far than what it should have been, but obviously he's bringing some money, sponsorship money, to stay in the 21 car. I just got no faith, man. I got no faith in Harrison Burton until he comes out. He's got to come out of the gate this year running strong because he's just not shown anything in the Cup Series to prove that he belongs. It's like 28th, 29th in points. Like, what was he uh, last year? I mean, I know he was 28th his rookie year, but... He'll he'll be bottom three this year. It's like he was 31st (laughs) last year in points. It was worse than we initially thought. 27th in 2022, but 31st in points in Penske equipment. Yeah, I mean, the main reason why he really probably wasn't a unanimous most disappointing is because there weren't a lot of expectations to... Uh, improve to begin with with how things have gone yeah I just I got no faith in Burton I'm sorry I, I, I want to see something out of him for once it would be fun if he finally figures it out in year three I mean we're talking Elliot Sadler here oh, hey it took him a couple years in cup but eventually what if we're on the same timeline here Elliot Sadler won his first cup race in 2001, and then 2004 was when he broke out. Hey, maybe we're a couple years away from the Harrison Burton renaissance, the takeover. The takeover. The takeover, and Yates comes back to cup. Burton goes to the 38 car. M&M's comes back. What do you dream about? (laughs) Listen, I I don't know, but Burton's got to step up this year or else he's going to be the most disappointing driver, and I'm also just tempering my expectations with Shane Van Gisbergen. I don't know how he's going to do on the cup side in the oval race. I don't think he'll be the worst driver in the world, but it's going to take him a little while to get up to pace. Uh, With that, that'll uh, close out the show. We went a little over the top of the hour, 15 minutes to be exact, but you know what? That's okay. We had a lot to cover here on the first episode. Sean, Dale, as always, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. We're back, baby. 
Oh, we're back, and it's such a pleasure. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight to the first episode of Speed Zone here in 2024. The next two weeks uh, will be a little up in the air with the schedule, and we'll try and make it happen. Stay tuned, stay safe, keep the foot on the You've gas pedal. you listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.